Welcome to Armchair Preaching, a podcast of the First Presbyterian Church in Lakeland, Florida. This is a podcast about God's Word, the beauty of the gospel, what it takes to communicate that truth to others. I'm your host, Pastor Zach McGowan, and on today's episode, I welcome back Ed Diaz as we talk through the closing sermons in the series, Come Together. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Armchair Preaching. I am in the armchair today, virtually, with Ed Diaz. Ed, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So, uh, we're recording uh, recording uh, over Zoom, so the audio for our listeners might be a little bit different than normal, but Ed, man, I'm so glad that you were able to take some time to unpack an uh, important message for us as we, we finish up the come together series. And, uh, I, you know, I was going back to some of the, um, the messages that you spoken at FPC and, and you get, you get called to close out message, close out series a little bit all the time. I'm the closer, right? <laughs> so I was thinking, do, do we, do we get Ed to back cleanup for us? Is that how that works? <laughs> uh, or ninth, whatever the closer is, <laughs> whatever the closer is. Yeah. So uh, we, we bring you off, but it's, it, this was actually um, really I think when, when John and I were looking at the, the schedule and John likes to schedule himself off, I like to schedule myself off just to, you know, one, I think it's good for the congregation to hear different voices. And two, it gives us a chance to take, take a breath in, in the given week. But this, when we were looking at this has really worked out well because we're closing out the series called come together, talking about the, the witness of the, the early church, that it was not just, um, the fellowship, the breaking bread, the prayers, the apostles' teaching. It was, and you you said this uh, really well. I think uh, I also mentioned this too. It wasn't just so that we become this place of comfort and security, but that we were we were brought together in order to be sent out. And uh, you really talked a lot about yes. the eva- the evangelism side of things. But I want to kind of back up a little bit because you um, are in in your ministry have been. Uh, kind of an expert on evangelistic outreach. And so I want to just pick your brain and ha- have you talk a little bit about some some of the things, because when people hear evangelism, they get really intimidated about it. Um, they get really um, squirrely about it. <laughs> and I think it's because they have this idea that evangelism is only one thing, right? That Yes, it's an event usually. Uh, if, if you do a word association and ask them, what do they think of hear the word evangelism? You know, the older folks say Billy Graham. Uh, Absolutely. You know, the younger folks have another response. But, uh, you know, again, uh, evangelism uh, is most of the time a process. You know, people don't usually respond to the gospel the first time they hear it. Yeah. And so that's why we're in it for the long haul. So when you have taught, you actually taught, uh, helped, uh, we were doing a, an evangelism class here on Wednesday nights last fall, and you and Gwen came in and, and, and did a couple weeks on that. And one of the things is is you kind of outlined the, the different types of evangelism that you've seen occur. So I wonder if you take a second and just kind of unpack those different types so that, you know, and, and where you your ministry has really leaned uh for the most part in your life absolutely happy to we uh 
we go to the book of Acts and we find that there are many ways that God uh, uses the evangelism model. And the first way is there in Acts chapter 2, right before the verses that our series focused on, where Peter gets up and preaches to the multitude and 3,000 people are converted to Christ. And uh, again, that's uh, a, a special event, but, uh, you know, God certainly uses that. It's biblical. Uh, but uh, the problem is to do that, you have to be gifted. Yeah. Uh, the average person does not want to get up and speak in front of thousands of people. Uh, and so, you know, Peter was specifically gifted to do that, as was Paul, as were most of the apostles. And I don't mind that approach at all. If you have an opportunity to share the gospel in front of large crowds, that's terrific. The problem is, only one or two percent of the population is comfortable doing that. You know, the the studies show that public speaking is one of the most scary uh, occupations that people have. Which is always, so funny. It's it's always just, funny. It's always funny to me that 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 always gets in the top five or six of of worst fears, because it's it's what I do every week. <laughs> and I exactly, think like, and you know, I I was a little bit worried about doing it when I was a younger person. I, I, I but the, the thing that cured me, <laughs> I ran a, a junior high camp, and I was up in front of the kids, uh, which are about 140 every week. I was there daily in front of them four or five times a day and uh, being scared wasn't going to work and being yeah, yeah. boring wasn't going to work. You had to engage them in order to have their attention. And so I, I learned trial by fire. And that's uh, proclamation but, evangelism. Yes. Proclamation evangelism. Again, it's biblical. It works. Uh, the downside is very few people are equipped uh, to do that. Uh, and so as, as you study the book of Acts, when you get Throughout uh, down in chapter seven and eight, you find the uh, the church is kicked out of Jerusalem. And one of the ways that God uses to reach other people groups is he sends Philip to the uh, to the Samaritans. And again, he uh, he has a, an approach that is very similar in our world, in our culture today to uh, what crew uses or evangelism explosion uses. It's more of a of a, of a sales model. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but you're generally approaching strangers and, in, and in engaging them in some kind of conversation, which allows you to quickly get into the gospel presentation. Again, it, it works and it's biblical. It certainly worked with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and many people are comfortable with that more than are comfortable with the proclamation. Well, I think the, the studies again show that maybe as much as nine or 10% of the population is good at that. Uh, and again, that, mirrors the percentage of population that is good at, at working in sales because you hear the, the the answer no a lot and if you're if your approach to evangelism is that i've only succeeded if i get somebody to pray that prayer or raise that hand or walk that aisle uh then i think you have an inadequate view of, of evangelism but i think you know again people who are comfortable with that and use it and i use it i don't mind it at all it's biblical uh, and so my approach in the message was uh, more what you did at the end of the book of Acts. They, again, they were gathered together so they could reach out. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the, the, you know, those are the two rails on which I think the church has to run. There's a, there's an edification rail where we build up the saints. And then there's the evangelism rail where we, where we grow the body. And you have to have both. If, if you just have edification, uh, then you end up with the holy huddle. I think I use the the quote: "Wherever two or three are gathered, there a click can form." Yeah. <laughs> and sadly, you know the average the average person in church has no significant relationships mm. with those outside the body of Christ. And mm. people who come to faith in Christ within two years that is often their their situation as well. So my challenge in the message, and and I thought you did a wonderful job of it, was was instead of just looking at what we do when we come together, what is it God wants us to do when we grow apart? And so over the years, 
uh, we've been involved in relational evangelism, uh, which, you know, 70 to 90 percent of the population is is comfortable about being in a friendship. And that's really all it is, is making friends over the long haul with the idea of I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to encourage people. And along the way, you know, Peter says, uh, make a defense for the hope that is in you to those who are asking. So it assumes that there's a relationship present and people are seeing you go through the trials of life. And hopefully they say, you know, how, how is it that you get through this? And again, people, my, my whole start of the message was on how difficult it is to not be a follower of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, you did not get to get to this in the message. Um, it just doesn't fit. And and I thought about this as well when I was talking about, so I was talking really about the the witness of the word and the witness of the work, right? And both really yes. go hand in hand. But in my head, one of the things that um, you, know, you talk about when you're doing a larger kind of evangelism, relational evangelism training is the, is the, the concept of, and, and you tell me where you got it from, because you did mention this, is this idea of the evangelism continuum, right? So that you have people that are extremely hostile to faith on one side, and then people that are not, not just bought in to faith, but they're, they're reproducing themselves in faith. So, on one side of the continuum, and the work of evangelism, we often think of it in terms of the decision. And I noticed that you, you brought that up in your message, the, the decision piece, but, and that's what people, I think, and why some people get so freaked out about that is the is I, I well I can't I you know I've been a failure because I haven't got ma- had anybody make a decision, but what you've talked about is evangelism is the work of bringing someone closer along the line of that, that decision. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was Becky Pipper did a book called uh, "Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World," yeah. and she at least described, if not created, the scale of a minus ten person who is as you said, hostile toward the gospel, kind of a Muslim extremist who would like to kill you and moving up the line to a minus three, two, one, which is where most of the people that we meet are in, in, in Lakeland. And then zero is the point where they come to no faith. And then the, the glory of relational evangelism is after somebody comes to faith, then you move them into the plus category, the yeah. plus one, plus two, all the way to plus 10, which is where they're a mature disciple maker. And that's, again, our church motto is to make and mature disciples for Jesus. And, you, you can't make a disciple until they've come to that decision. But the decision is usually a result of many smaller decisions. I often, re- I often related to uh, my relationship with Gwen, my wife, uh, you know, we were not married the first day we met, but we each had to make a series of decisions. My first decision was, wow, she's cute. I want to date her. And then the uh, <laughs> second decision was I'd like to date her exclusively. And along the line, then, at some point, I asked I asked her to marry me, but we we still were not married, and we had to make a lot of decisions along the way before we finally got to the church uh, there on Cleveland Heights Boulevard, and it was a little Presbyterian church. But finally, we stood in front of the pastor and said, "I do," and then we began our relationship with Jesus. Up until that time, it was just a series of smaller uh, decisions, and that's how most people come to faith. You know, you have illustrations of the Apostle Paul who has a lightning bolt experience on the Damascus Road. Again, it's biblical and it works, but more people come to Christ as a result of smaller decisions. So as it refers to evangelism, again, you you had it, you hit the nail right on the head. People feel like they failed if they don't get people to a decision. Mm-hmm. But if I can move somebody from a minus four to a minus three, just by loving them, my encouragement was to go eat with people. Just be with them. You know, that's what Jesus did. He was called a friend of sinners. Yeah. And I would love for that to be on my tombstone. Mm. 
Well, and I, I love I love the 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 parallel that you just that you just made between your relationship with Gwen. I think of the same thing with my relationship with with Julie, and and yet we think that the relationship. A lot of times we pigeonhole the relationship that people have with Christ as an all or nothing. Yes. Really, it is, and 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 I think it even to 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 take that to take that metaphor even a little further your relationship with Gwen you're still defi- you're still married but that marriage is a lot richer because you've gone through you know you know decades together and having children and and you know all, all the the living out the vows that you made you know in front of the church and the same things true for for a relationship with Christ you know we And I think that yeah it's a great distinction Zach to understand there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Mm. I don't have a relationship as a husband until I've said I do. But from that day forward, my fellowship with Gwen varies basically on how pleasing I am to her. And so there are times (laughs) in our 50 years together when we've been way out of fellowship, but we haven't ever stopped being husband and wife. And that's Mm. the great news about our faith is once we come to understand who Christ is and we accept his death for us on the cross, we begin that relationship with God and that is permanent. It's fixed. It's inviolable. What varies with God is that fellowship. And that is usually dependent on my obedience to him. But it, it's a it's a variable thing over time that gets hopefully better and better. Yeah, and you really focused in your message and on the the lost sheep parable, Luke 15, um, which is a wonderful parable. And you told the story of of Maddie with the uh, with uh, the the Sunday school version of it, which is great. Um I wonder as you unpack that 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 parable, and, and and I'm sure, and I know you've gone through that parable many, many, many times and looked at it from a lot of different angles. Are there things that still just shock and amaze you when you come to that parable that that uh, that come through? Because I know you're very passionate about those Luke 15 parables, but are there things when you're looking at those now today after? Um, you know, a life's ministry, uh, trying to live into the message of those parables that you're still just kind of blown away, blown away at. I think just personally, I need to go back and remember that I was a lost sheep. Mm. I didn't come into this world knowing Christ. No one does. And, and so again, I started my message with the plight of those who are the lost sheep. You know, we, we treat them as the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're the victims of the enemy. People without Jesus uh, have such a hard time because the, the scripture says they're blind to the light of the gospel. They're dead in their trespasses and sins, and they're ensnared by the evil one. And he holds them captive to do his will in their life. And consequently, you know, I just need to go out into the world around me and say, here are people who are, they're struggling with the same things I'm struggling through. Parenthood, yeah. grandparenthood, job, health, financial issues, governmental issues. And they don't have Christ to walk through the valley of the shadow with them. Yeah. And when I focus on that, uh, the thing that the parables always bring me back to is the, the desire of the shepherd to leave the 99 behind and go find the one. And again, I, I mentioned in my message that so often in church, we, we're more concerned about keeping the 99 comfortable. And that's your job, Zach, and you do a great job, but you're a tougher man than me. Uh, but, <laughs> the, our, you know, the heart of the father is that he is the father that has the one who's lost. And he, and he leaves the 99 behind and he looks in, in, in Maddie's version, he walked and he walked and he walked until he yeah. until he finds that lost sheep, and they desperately need finding, and that's the joy of ministry. 
Yeah. And and the thing, you know, I was actually teaching this parable out of Matthew's version. Um, you know, Matthew goes through uh, kind of the, the law sheep thing. And one of the things that, that strikes me about this is it's so counter intuitive from a business standpoint, right? If the shepherd has 99 sheep, he loses one. It's so counterintuitive to leave the 99 and go after the one, right? It's, <laughs> it's so does not make, and that's this, that's the extension of this upside down kind of gospel and, and what, you know, we, we have, you know, we have, we ha- have the job of inspiring and motivating and, and um, sometimes challenging people in uncomfortable ways to say that's the mentality that the that that followers of Jesus Christ ought to have is one that is counterintuitive and countercultural it's not about you know my my individual comfort level or my ability to consume religious goods and services for myself for my own edification but to be um to be a witness and to to push out into the world and and yet there's even more power when the congregation takes that mentality, but it takes individuals having that mentality for the congregation to have that mentality. Yeah. So, I like the congregation to understand that, uh, you know, our pastors are the shepherds. Shepherds don't make sheep, sheep make sheep. <laughs> and so we need to encourage the sheep to get out there and make other sheep. And yes, there are certainly times when as a pastor, you can come alongside someone and help that process along. Uh, but you know, you're the people in the congregation will meet people and love people and nurture people that we will never get to know otherwise. Well, and the, and the great, the great thing, I think being in the congregation, especially with, with, you know, the, 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 the amount of teachers and, and even preachers that we have people that have, you know, the training and, and the experience is that when you, when you think of evangelism in the context of the congregation, it takes the pressure off having all the answers, right? You have a, a wealth of resources. You know, people have said to me, oh, I don't feel like I can do the evangel. I, you know, I don't feel like an evangelist. If somebody asks me a tough question, what do I do? So, well, you, you pick up the phone or you, you call somebody who does have the answers or, or somebody who doesn't have the answers that's help, willing to help you kind of, you know, get, get, get into the conversation because the, the point of evangelism is not to have all the answers, right? The point is to, to lead people into a relationship with Christ yeah, in so spite that's of where not the, having all the answers. That's where the friendship piece is so important because if, if I'm with a friend that I'm going to be with in the future, it's okay for me to say, Hey, I don't know that answer, but I'll dig around and see what I can find. Or I'll, yeah. I'll get you to meet with my pastor or my Sunday school teacher or whoever I've got that may have some help for both of us. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, the great thing about the relational model is, is that the relationship is long-term and the people that come to faith then are more eager, willing, and able to get into the discipleship mode. Again, that's our goal is to, to make and mature the disciples. Well, and and, the, and I love how you put it, um, and I've heard you, you talk about this before, but I, I really love how you put it. It's because there there is a temptation with Christians who will say, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to make non-Christian friends um, and – but the idea then is that they 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 look at that 
that individual not as a person or as a friend. They look at them as a project, right? Amen. Yes. I'm, and, and people are not projects. And they, if, if you treat them as, as a project, they will. It's not going to go well. <laughs> they will understand it pretty quickly. And, yeah. uh, and again, you don't ever give up on a, on a person. I mean, I've, I've met with people, some of them for 20 and 30 years now that haven't come to Christ yet. Mm. But I haven't given up on the relationship and the friendship. And, you know, I'm still able to get with them and, and nurture them and nudge them. And again, we're, we've seen a move from maybe a minus five to a minus four to a minus three. Uh, but that's always that's always the joy of the long term process. And again, being in one place over a period of years has been so uh, rewarding for us instead of just in and out. You know, the average pastor, I think, only lasts three or four years. And, yeah. you know, we've been blessed to be here for over 40. Yeah. Well, and and the thing that, you know, you did towards the end of the message when you're when you're when you're calling people to an action, right? It was not just okay, go evangelize and and find some non-Christians that you can get in relationship with. That that's part of it, but then you start to get real specific about the where that can take place. You know, where it's almost like people need the ability to be able to to open their eyes and see the places where God has called them and look at that as the, 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 the harvesting field, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the business world, you mentioned retirement parks, no, you know, you're in the classic service. So knowing the audience there, um, and then you talked about hobbies. And one of the things that's been cool is to talk to a few of the folks in our church who, who have been taking that seriously for a long time. And on the golf course, you know, they they have come and talked to me and asked me questions that have come up on the golf course with their non-Christian friends. And they're committed to being on the golf course with their non-Christian friends. And, and, and may their tribe increase. And yeah. again, it's hard to get people who are busy in our congregation. We, we don't want to give them one more thing to do. It's not one more thing to do. It's in the arenas in which you already function. Who does God lay on your heart? Who do we need to be praying for and asking God for opportunities to be with them in a natural setting? So yeah. if you're going to play golf anyway, make sure you're playing golf once in a while with some of these lost sheep. If you're going to go out to eat anyway, you know, the average non-believer eats three times a day. And people say, oh, I don't have anything <laughs> in common with my with my lost sheep friends. Yes, you do. You have a lot in common. You live in the same town. You have the same issues. You have the same uh, problems of life that that everyone else does. And it's so nice to be able to have that sounding board to go to and, and, and build, build the friendship over time. When you even talked and you, about, and again, you can't do this with 30 people or 40 people. So we ask, you know, people be intentional about your praying and, and ask God, who's that one person or those two people that I really have a heart for that. If Jesus uh, were to show up today, they, they wouldn't have a relationship mm -hmm. with him. And I think that's the focus of what we're trying to encourage folks to do. Well, and you said something that, uh, I think is so often neglected is the initial prayer that has to go into this, the intentional prayer that has to go into saying, well, first of all, I need to pray to know who God wants me to reach. And, and, and if there is, if I can't, if I'm in, in that camp where I don't know any non-Christian friends, I don't have any non-Christian friends, then I need to pray to be in an opportunity to build non-Christian friendships. Um, and then to know who that person is that God is calling me to and, and, and prayer, not just in the initial, but prayer, every step of the way, praying for them, praying for ourselves to have the right words to say and the opportunities to say it, 
or to to not say anything if they, you know to be in a situation you know, Paul, where the apostle there. paul does an amazing job in i think it's in colossians where he says uh, pray for an open door and pray that would be we would be able to make clear the message of the gospel i mean wow if paul is asking for prayer uh, how much more do we need to pray prayer is the key it's it's the prelude to all effective evangelism prayer is the beginning and the middle and the end and so, you know, we have the opportunity as we go before the Lord to uh, effect change in the lives of people that we love and that he loves. I mean, he's illustrated his love for them by sending Christ to begin with. And when we reflect that heart, I think he's pleased uh, to soften hearts and bring about opportunities for them to hear the message. And that, and again, I thought you did a great job of saying, you know, we're, in, we're beginning the Lenten season right away. We got opportunities that if you have friends that you've already built a relationship with, it's it's an easy thing to say, hey, we're going to go to an Ash Wednesday service or we're going to go to a Sunday school class or we're going to go to a, uh, an Easter service because even unbelievers will go to church on Easter and Christmas. We call them the Christers mm-hmm. and they uh, and, and they're willing to come at this time of year. And, and again, so that's where we can have a great heart for people without without Christ. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and you know that le- you know that kind of is a great segue into our next series. We're we're starting a prayer series called Dangerous Prayers uh, this next Sunday, and and um, we're going to talk about what happens when we take seriously the ministry of prayer in in a lot of different arenas for for ourselves, for our lost friends, and and for our community in, as a whole, and so excited about kicking that one off and um ed i really appreciate you hanging out uh this time and uh, i encourage anybody if you missed ed's ser- uh, sermon this past week or you missed my sermon this past week to head over our website fpclakeland.org and uh, check them out under the worship page in the sermon archive tab and uh, if you missed any episodes of armchair preaching uh be sure to head over to apple Podcasts, spotify uh, google play stitcher soundcloud subscribe to armchair preaching Uh, Like it and share it with your friends. Uh, I think it'll be a blessing, especially if you've ever wondered about... about uh, uh, evangelism, this is a great opportunity. And Ed, uh, tell folks, uh, what are you, what are, what are you doing outside of uh, being a great, uh, great pitch hitter here uh, on on uh, on Sundays? What else are you doing right now? Well, our ministry is focused on uh, getting to people that uh, don't know Christ yet, loving them. And then bringing them along in their faith and then plugging them into to our church and different churches so that they can continue to be nurtured and, and disciple makers. Uh, I do. I just did a podcast. I'm taking a will be I've been to Israel a bunch of times and I love to take people to Israel. And I'm taking some of my lost sheep friends to Israel on this trip. Uh, it's called Israel Past, Present, Present and Future. And, uh, you know, it's it's under all those same platforms that uh, you mentioned. Uh, my wife produces a Bible study daily called the, my daily briefing. It's an email that comes out and several thousand people are using that to go chronologically through the Bible in a year. It's a great tool for some of your lost sheep friends that don't understand the Bible. It can be an enigma, a puzzle, a real frustrating thing to get through. So in her, in her words, the Bible just makes sense. You can read it like a novel if you follow her, her approach. And so together we, uh, we've been blessed to be doing this for a long time in a great city. And where is there a place online for folks that don't know if they're listening to the podcast where they can find this? Uh, uh, all these, yeah. If you'll go to seven one dash one seven dot org, our ministry is seventy one seventeen ministries, and uh, you can find a lot more about us there. And my contact information is there. I'd be happy to send you the link to the podcast if you can't find it under that title again. Is Israel 
colon, past, present, and future. Wonderful. And you're getting ready to head out uh, in just a couple of weeks, right? Taking it. Go to Israel over spring break. We're actually taking nine teenagers with us. So I'm really excited. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I had to be honest, had to have to uh, have to repent. I'm a little jealous uh, because I I, I haven't been to Israel in uh, about 13 years. So uh, your kids are old enough now that it's a game changer. Yes. I'll never forget. That's our plan. My, my, actually my brother-in-law who's a pastor up in uh, Jacksonville is in the uh, is in a is in a second week of a two week um, a trip to Israel. So he was he was ten days in Israel, came back to be home for five days, and now he's there once again in Israel for ten days. Uh, so he's doing a it, he took a group of folks from his church um, as well. So a couple groups of people. So it's a it's it is game changing. Uh, it's a it's a game changing uh, experience. I appreciate yeah. it once again, Ed. Thank you so much for hanging out, and uh, hope uh, hope everybody goes and checks out your resources. Uh, but thank you so much for being here. God bless. Thanks, Zach. And we'll see everybody next time.